to some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte. I'm Ollie. And we are Creeping It in the Family. Episode 5? Yes, I believe so. I have no notes. I always want to start, like, I always want to rhyme the episode. Like, episode 5, staying alive. But then I realise that I'd die if I read it, like, thinking it back. And, Can it's, I run a, out and it's the complete <laughs> opposite of the theme of the podcast today, staying alive. But not alive. Yeah, I've got no notes with me today because Charlotte has planned the... Notes for the roast. <laughs> notes for the rest of the year. What what is it you've gone with? Uh, true crime. True crime serial killers, I believe. Yeah. So I started off a bit. It's hard this one because it's one of the worst things I've ever researched in my entire life. I thought I was going to start off like okay, because technically this guy never got convicted of murder, but he is thought to be one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Was he convicted after he was after he no. died? Was it's he a whirlwind of a story. It's going to say well, how can and it's going to take me some time to get through for those that haven't seen. Instagram page, like six pages worth of note, but we'll get on with it. So I'm going to be doing David Parker Ray, who is also known as the Toy Box Killer. Right. So there's not much known about David Parker Ray when he was a child. He was born November the 6th, 1939, and was an American kidnapper, torturer, rapist, and suspected serial killer, though never convicted of murder. There's not much known about his childhood. He was born in, I might murder the words here, Belen. In New Mexico. Can't be worse than Coochie Sack. Yeah, Coochie Sack was unbeatable, to be fair. Ray and his younger sister Peggy lived with their grandfather. He was really, dis- he was a disciplinarian, so Ray could never meet. If By the way, if I refer to him as like David Ray or David Parker or Parker Ray, there's only one David, so you know what I mean. Right. So him and his sister Peggy lived with his grandfather. They were a dis- He was a disciplinarian, which means he had to meet impossible demands and... If he didn't meet those demands, he got beaten. So he was physically abused so as a child. This suppose, is the killer I'm talking about. This is the killer. Yeah, right. he did get visits though. There's, it was only handed over because his mum Nettie and his dad Cecil would. She just couldn't. He left, and she just couldn't deal with two children. So they were palmed off on grandfather. Basically, right. he did get visits from his alcoholic and abusive father though, who alternated between beating him and supplying him with sadomasochistic. Pornography. No, I let down. Things mean? like bondage, pain. How old is he at this point? Six, seven, six, seven. Yeah, he, he was. It was a very young age. Uh, he was bullied by his school peers because he was super shy, especially towards girls, and that unfortunately drove Packeray to drink and drugs. So he actually served in the U.S. Army. He was a mechanic. He received an honorable discharge at the end of his enlistment. It wasn't that there was anything wrong or. Yeah anything like that it was just it was the end of his time he married four times but each ended in divorce and each ex that he had is supposedly been an accomplice at some point but Jesus. as i say once again not confirmed it's 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 a real difficult one so david parker Ray, just like i said before was never actually charged with murder although he is suspected to have killed up to 60 women during his spree but he, only suspected suspected yeah he once told his fiance that his first victim was a woman he tied to a tree, tortured and murdered when he'd just become a teenager, so at the age of 14. This was never proven. Police found it difficult to distinguish his truths from his heavily materialised fantasies of bondage and torture. 
So he would say he's done things and he fully admitted to it, but then they couldn't convict him because they couldn't find a body and they couldn't identify the victims, which right. is a completely different kettle of fish that we'll get onto later. So it starts in the quiet little town of Elephant Bayou. It's known for a retirement town, so they didn't earn a lot of money. It was really, when I mean quiet, I mean no police phone calls, no, nothing bad happened there. It was just a nice little place for people the age 50, 60. That hot fuzz setting. Yeah. And it was really, it was really nice there. Now I hope I said by you right because it's spelled elephant butt. Oh. So when I saw it, I was like, hmm, interesting. We'll but go with it, anyway. it is elephant by you. From what I've heard, I did quite a lot of research on it. So it's, in his crimes during the eighties, Parker Ray grew more and more involved in sadomasochistic porn. There began his routine of kidnapping women and young girls, torturing them for days, then selling them into slavery in Mexico. And it was only two hours away from his torturous lay in Elephant Bayou, which is where he lived. He would speak to his friends all the time about how he'd get rid of a body in Bayou Lake. So there was a big, massive lake and it was opaque, like you couldn't see through it. Right. And it was like all the algae was on the top and everything like that. And he'd go into complete detail to them, telling them that he'd cut them open to release the gases. And then there's loads of species of fish in Bayou Lake, but catfish was well known for it and he said whatever he didn't get rid of the catfish will get rid of and his friends never actually picked it up they just thought he was being hypothetical even though he went into a shitload of detail jesus christ yeah parker ray did have children but was closest to his daughter glenda jean ray but she was nicknamed jesse so for the purpose of this podcast whenever i say jesse that's david parker ray's daughter right growing up she was exposed to parker ray's sadomasochism which also opened up to her getting a taste for it. She once, at 19 years old, witnessed her father performing a sadomasochistic act to a prostitute who was screaming for it and begging for her life. The prostitute managed to get away and ran off. It was the first inkling to Jessie that there was something not right with her father and that wasn't right. And she was actually... You know what age this happened? She was only 19. Oh, so she's old enough to understand what's going on. Old enough on, to then. understand what's going on. So she'd actually, she'd been around his tendencies quite a lot. She'd picked on a lot of stuff and got a taste for it herself. But what she'd seen was yeah. completely wrong. So she actually reported her dad to the FBI. So she, she dobbed him in for it. She told tale after tale about her father kidnapping and torturing women before selling them into slavery. And the FBI brought him into question several times. He didn't hide his behaviour and was actually quite boastful about it, what he did. But... As shocking as this was, they couldn't pin a crime on him and they let him go without being Bloody under yeah. surveillance. So he admitted to loads of stuff he did. And there's videos and documentaries on YouTube and there's a lot that I'm going to go into that I that there's things that I'm going to have to sensitise and I, I, don't, I can't physically read it because it makes me want to cry. And so I've had to cut bits out, but I can post full transcripts and things like that on the page link of each episode. Yeah. And that if you want to read more into it, you can, but yeah. I couldn't quite do it. So he wasn't... He wasn't under any surveillance for the FBI. He wasn't... There was nothing. Uh, this led to another 13 years of horrific crimes before he was picked up again. It was the first and only time Jesse cooperated with the law enforcement about her father. They let her down so she didn't go to them again. Right. Instead, she actually became more like her father and she fully embraced it. Jesse was an accomplice, so she helped her father in what he was doing. People who knew them described the relationship as uncomfortably close. And Jessie ended up having a daughter and was constantly denying rumours her father was her daughter's biological father as well. So there was sort of an undertone of incest going somewhere along the line there. So I'm going to look into the toy box now. 
So after David Ray, in no certain terms, got the green light from the FBI, he pushed things a little bit further. His mechanics training from being in the army and his position allowed him to create something absolutely abominable. It was half a laboratory, half torture chamber. He purchased a 22-foot-long cargo trailer and put up a sign called Satan's Den. And as I say, I'll post links in the episode, but you can actually see the inside of this trailer once he decked it all out. It's estimated that he spent over $100,000 over it in the years. And the ceilings and walls were covered with the likes of pulleys, gurneys, weights, clamps, whips, padlocks, um, chains, scalpels. There were images of women put all over the walls in various positions of sexual torture. There were also cabinets filled with chemicals and syringes. He even had a coffin with ventilation holes and rings to restrain victims when he locked them in there and sealed it shut. Worst of all was a medical gynecological table that had been crafted to restrain victims with their limbs at Parker Ray's mercy. So it was a table for gynecological purposes. Yeah. Like, And God knows what he did. Well, we find out a bit what he did there. There were actually electrodes hooked up to the head and midsection of the chair and he'd attach it to a main generator, car battery, stuff like that. And he would put it on various parts of the women's bodies to give them electric shocks. To make this even sicker, he actually set up a video recorder to film his deviant acts. Not only would this give him satisfaction, but he'd position the camera so that the women would have to be forced to watch what he was doing to them while he was doing it. And he also put a mirror up on the ceiling, so there was no way out. What he he was doing to these women, everybody, everybody saw. He also sold the films, sometimes snuff films, films that included death. Like, he killed them. He sold them to... It was like the dark web of sadomasochism. So, I don't... Before we get too into it, I'm not saying anything against bondage. I'm not saying anything against that when it's done right. If that's what you want and that's what you like, if you like being tied up or tying somebody else up, as long as it's purely consensual and you've got absolute trust in them and there's a safe word, they can carry on. But this was another level. This was dark web sort of stuff. So, he'd sell it for a lot of money, the recording footage you got... And he got over hundred. He got hundreds and hundreds of videos. So God yeah, knows red, how many people. Red rooms are a big business on the dark web. So I've seen on documentaries and stuff. There's a big, it's torture porn, isn't it? There's a big market for it. Yeah. A lot of rich businessmen pay for that type of stuff. Yeah, and he, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this room, on this trailer. So a lot of their like finances were funding his. Essentially, investors. Yeah, yeah investing in his trailer. Um, he'd keep the victims for days, sometimes weeks, until he got bored of them. So when we find out a little bit more about what he did later on. His method was something he never deviated from. So it was always he was always very precise about what he did, when he did it, how long. And he, he was very obsessive like that. He always started the exact same way. His victim could be abducted from a bar or a road. But it's suspected he held a preference for female prostitutes that he'd lure into his RV with promise for business. Um, they'd been then heavily beaten or held at knife point and shackled. He'd take them back to 513 Space Drive, keep them there for a couple of days before beating them, dragging, uh, drugging them and blindfolding them, and then he'd take them to the toy box, which was his trailer. The women would wake up strapped, uh, strapped up to the gynae chair, seeing various restraints and torch-designed items, many that had been created by Parker Ray himself. Then he would play the introductory tape, because he had so many women in that trailer... 
that he got tired of repeating the same old thing over and over. So he Sounds actually like fucking saw this. He actually recorded a tape of it, and I'm going to read a snippet of what he said. I've cut loads of stuff down. This tape went on for about six pages worth of writing, so I, I cut it down massively. And I'm not going through it all because some of the stuff was absolutely vital. And this was really all I could pretty much stand to write, and even that's awful. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You're disoriented and, and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It's very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you, in detail, why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. Now, you're obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what happens next. You probably think you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is what you've got in between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. It gives more detail into this later on. There's, there's some horrible things. Um, after we get completely through with you you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis. By the time I get through with you, you're not going to remember a fucking little thing about this little adventure. There's so much detail, as I said, but it makes me feel sick. But just as a brief thing, it goes into more detail about what, what we're going to do to him. There's bestiality in there. He kept dogs. So I don't... The... Did he kill all of his victims, every single one of them? No. This is how he got caught. I was going to say, because surely that would have led he to his capture and conviction. He didn't actually kill a lot of the women that were seen, but the sodium pentothal and the phenobarbital that did drug them. And we're, we're going to learn about one of the victims, well, two of the victims, really, in more detail right. as we go along. So that's just a snippet of the tape. And as I said... There's snippets of him saying it so you can hear the actual audio. Is it, is it online, the actual tapes? Yeah. Are there? Yeah, and there's a transcript. So there's a written version of the transcript and Oliver, like the stuff that he does, is out of this world. I, I can't imagine, as a woman, like laying there and listen, listening to that tape and not knowing where I am. And yeah. the, like they must have been so scared. So that's just what he did and it disgustingly worked. He Girls would return to their loved ones unable to explain their trauma or why their bodies hurt so much. It's unclear how many women suffered at the hands of Parker Ray and his accomplices, but when investigated later by the FBI, there were hundreds of tapes and images that were found, all of different women. None were identifiable except one, and the only way it became identifiable was due to a grainy, blurred tattoo. This person became one of the key witnesses that helped convict Parker Ray. They publicised the tattoo and a woman came forward, Kelly Van Cleve. And the only reason that she could start piecing things together was she recognised her own tattoo after the FBI released it. Right. She'd spent time in Elephant Bayou, but there were three days of her life she just couldn't remember. 
However, she'd followed this with severe anxiety, depression and nightmares. It was like her subconscious was clinging on to something, even though she couldn't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. It was it was there. It had been 1996 and she had spent time in a bar called Raymond's Lounge. A year earlier, another woman called Jill Troyer had gone missing and hadn't been seen since. And that's a defining piece of information because she'd gotten into an argument with David Parker Ray. So Parker Ray's daughter had gotten into an argument with her, this Jessie. woman. Yeah, Jessie had gotten into an argument with Jill and Jill had not been seen since. She'd completely disappeared. It's been speculated that Jessie was responsible for her disappearance. Kelly spent a lot of time at the bar after she rushed into a new marriage. So she she got married young. She didn't really know what she was doing. And then the marriage was turning bad. And she spent a lot of time at the bar. And because of this, consequently, she got to know Jessie quite a lot more. One night, she talked to Jessie about the difficulties she was having. She'd only had a single beer, but felt really confused and disoriented. And that's backed up many, many times. The idea she only ordered one beer. She wanted to go home, but her ride had gone home because Jessie had kept her talking for a very long time. And so Jessie had offered her a place to stay at her father's place. She said, you know, you can crash at my dad's, that's fine. So three days, la- uh, three days later, David Ray Parker drove her to her in-law's house and told them he'd found her at the beach in a disoriented state. Her in-laws were fuming because they'd assumed she'd just gone on a, re- on a wild drugs binging mm. session because she'd been married so early and, like, caged, I suppose, as you will. Her husband even annulled the marriage over it, so she got divorced. She was confused, in agony, bleeding, traumatised, and so she packed her things and left Ele- Elephant Bayou. She didn't have a clue what had happened to her. Three years later, she was living in Colorado... And she'd even remarried at the time, but she was still suffering from what had happened, even if it was subconsciously. So the nightmares, the depression, she had an awful time. And it got so bad that she couldn't be intimate with her husband. She couldn't actually have sex with her husband. She couldn't even have him see her naked. That's how bad it was. When she came forward about the tattoo, because she saw it was a, it was like a tribal one on her arm and it was very grainy, but she worked it out. The FBI gave her psychological counselling and she was able to piece together most of what happened. And also the FBI showed her the videotape of her. So she was actually learning about what happened to her from the videotape that she was watching. Because the drugs had just completely done her over. So we already know that David Parker didn't work alone. He had an accomplice in his daughter, Jessie. And when she brought home Roy Yancey, who was a rebellious teenager, he'd gotten into a satanic cult. He was linked with the occult. And then he'd sort of tried to straighten himself out. So he joined the Navy, I believe. And he'd straightened himself out. So he was considered quite a decent guy, this Roy Yancey. No longer a teenage delinquent, but a young man fresh out of the Navy. But he had a dark side, though. And Jesse brought that back out in him. So Jesse was able... Turning back into that teenager, the satanic cult, yeah. looking at the occult, dark magic, things like that. But the two were inseparable and they became friends with a man called Kenneth. Kenneth Lee Lane, I believe, actually. He was a loner from Florida, so he didn't have many friends, but he was a drug dealer. And he dealt them both. Jesse and Roy were there frequently, but Roy was there a lot more than Jesse was. One neighbour actually reported seeing Roy leave alone with like a wicked smile on his face. They were like, it it was something very sinister. Mm. And days later, there were complaints of a foul smell like erupting through the neighbourhood. So the neighbours were complaining of a stench that they couldn't pin down. And upon further investigation, they found Kenneth's 
decomposed body. There were black candles, pentagrams, all set up across the room. And his death, actually, although it looked like some sort of occult thing had happened, it was ruled as a suicide. Not have been a sacrifice, I'd imagine, if there was into all that stuff. Yeah, by metallic poisoning. So they found a doorknob shoved up his rectum and his stomach filled with screws. And that's what it was ruled of suicide by metallic poisoning then we go to an old girlfriend who roy had and he'd been really really close to her she was called marie parker she had two kids she was a user though she was she was a drug user and she was really struggling financially she was homeless so she penned her kids off with her aunt because she didn't have she didn't have a place to stay and she pitched up a tent at Elephant Bayou Lake. She was desperate and met Jesse and Ray to score drugs. Uh, Not Ray, sorry. Jesse and Roy. Roy and Ray. I was going to do it at some point. Jesse and Roy to score score drugs. And she ended up falling into David Ray's trap. Uh, She was taken to David Ray's home and introduced to the toy box too. Roy claims he never entered the toy box whilst they were doing what they were doing to her in there. He never never saw what they did to Marie. That's what he, he claims still. But Jesse and David kept her there for three days. When they finished, David led Roy into the toy box and handed him a rope. Marie was laid drugged out of her mind. She was crying. She was in a lot of pain. She was obviously stripped naked, bloody. So David Ray handed Roy the rope and recorded Roy strangling Marie to death with this rope. But the tape was never found. Right. So... Her That's body. why he can hold these claims that he never knew what went on. He admits to strangling Marie. Roy oh, admits, admits to it. it. He pleaded guilty to strangling her. But because, just as we find in a minute, I'll tell you, but um, tossed Marie's body into a ravine in Monticello Canyon. Jesse and Ray left town after... Jesse and Roy. Roy and Ray. Why do they have to have the same <laughs> name? Jesse and Roy left town... Uh, for a year after that so they were completely out of elephant bayou they just wanted to wait for the disappearance to die down because marie sorry she had family so even though she was a drug user like she had kids she had her aunt that was helping her out so she was a missing person yeah the people cared about her. people cared yeah years later in his confession that roy made he took the police to where they dumped the body to sort of try and recover it and yeah. then they could charge but she was nowhere to be found so it's suspected that David Ray actually went and moved the body because he yeah. couldn't trust Roy. And if, as if it couldn't get more fucked up, it's just about to get a whole more fucked up. So another accomplice that he had was Cindy Hendy. She was already on the run from the law in Manhattan for the likes of things like drug, larceny, stuff like that. Same sort of thing as Jesse and yeah. uh, Roy were into. Cindy began dating both Jesse and Roy. Right, so a love triangle. So they were in like a love triangle. And they used David... Parker Ray's house is sort of like a love nest. But then just to add to it, David Ray wanted a piece of the action. And so then Parker Ray would hold like free-for-all orgies between his daughter, Roy. So there's definitely incest there then. Yeah, his daughter, Roy, Cindy and himself. Cindy was keen on the bondage scene as well. And so she was quite happy to do that. And Jesse was delighted alongside uh, Parker Ray because then they could both sort of encourage her and it was the wrong sort of, I hate calling it I hate calling it bondage because bondage is a really safe and trusting thing to do with a partner and this is clearly it's not violent. it it is it, it, and it shouldn't be called that I should maybe say deviancy 
because it's not bondage at all. As time went on, David and Cindy actually became more of a couple exclusively. So it was like Jesse and Roy and then David and Cindy. She used to become a... She, so she became a housewife of David Parker Ray, essentially. She would cook for him, clean his house. She, she'd do all the wifely things to try and keep his attention on her. She'd been so involved and like so pushed into the darkness with them that when she was invited to a wedding and she had to go away for the weekend when david parker suggested that they get a sex slave to keep while she was away she was fine with it right so she actually agreed he brought her to the toy box so that it was then he started opening up to her more and more about what he did so it wasn't just like bondage it was yeah. torture and he took her to the toy box she absolutely loved it Fucking hell. Over two years, she enabled and helped David in his kidnap, torture and murder. Bloody hell. So it all ended with a very brave woman called Cynthia, I'd like to say Vigil. I hope I say that right because I really, it really makes me feel sick using David Parker Ray's name so much because I feel like, why should I give him the infamy of being on a podcast because he doesn't deserve it but the victims are the ones who deserve sort of the closure and unfortunately with Cynthia Vigil she was she's a victim of circumstance so things haven't gotten better for her yeah since this happened so David arranged with Cynthia's pimp to have her take the business when she entered the back of the camper David produced a fake badge and told her that they were law enforcement and that she'd been done for prostitution Cynthia had tried to run but was overpowered she was blindfolded and hours later after the mask was removed, she heard the tape. So she got the introductory tape. Right. She was put under torture. She was the, the things that happened to her, don't bear thinking about. Um, days later, Cynthia was chained to the bed. So she was chained to this bed. David was out and Cindy was making sandwiches in the kitchen side of the camper thing. And the keys to Cynthia's restraints had actually been left really carelessly close. So whether it was the idea of complacency or just an honest mistake, I mean, when we think about it, Parker Ray had done this to hundreds of women. Yeah. And so it was the smugness of, well, I'm not going to get caught. Yeah. So Cynthia managed to grab the key and unlock her restraints. She knew she had very, very little time. She called the police. So she called 911. So when you said that... Um... Cindy was making sandwiches in the house. Yeah, they were all. In, I thought it was all in, in the camper van along. No, with... no, it was all in the trailer. Like she, she, she was, was there. in the trailer. She was alone. in the trailer at this point with Cynthia. So Cynthia and Cindy were in the trailer. Cynth so how did she manage to call the police? Because the keys to her restraints had been left closed. So Cindy, Cindy, Cynthia. I know they're all the same people. It's Cynthia weird. is the one on the bed. I thought Cindy was this new killer, like that helped. Her. Yeah, Cindy is Cindy and so Cynthia. So how could she call the police if they're in the same caravan? Because she was in the kitchen side. It was like a caravan, like a big. Yeah, it's a big. big yeah, one. it's a big right. caravan. Because most caravans are just all one room. No, no, it was it I, was separated. Right, it was like that, a proper that's, thing. That's what I imagined. Yeah, it's fine. Sorry, I should have explained that more. So she was in the kitchen area making sandwiches, and Cynthia managed to get hold of the key and unlock a restraint. She knew she had very very little time to get out so she went to call the police first that was the first thing she did she called 911 but then cindy bust through and they fought fiercely so cindy and cynthia are 
going at each other. Yeah. So reaching out simply where, where, by... Where was Roy at this time, sorry? He was out. Right. David David Parker Ray was out. Right. Jesse Ray, and Ray Jesse and Roy were out. It was just those two in the right. camper. So she managed, Cynthia, for some miracle, managed to grab an ice pick off the side and stabbed it straight into Cindy's skull. Fucking hell. So... With Cindy, obviously, in complete shock and bloody and whatnot, she managed to run and find a trailer. So she ran down this long dirt road as quick as she could. She knew she didn't have a lot of time. He could be behind her at any yeah. moment. So she managed to find this trailer and she ran in. The trailer owners called the police because this, this woman literally, just, she was naked, she was bloody, she was bruised, battered. She flung into their, into their trailer yeah. and said, you need to help me, you need to help me, something bad's happened. And they've actually, you can actually on a documentary I watch you can hear the nine one one call that the trailer person made on Cindy's behalf, uh, Cynthia's behalf. Sorry, so Cynthia was saved. They because the police came and arrived, and then what they noticed was so the the fact that Elephant Bayou was such a small quiet town, the police were very very rarely wrong. Yeah, and so. They picked up on an investigation that somebody had done a hang up nine one one call on the day that Cynthia was rescued. Because if you remember rightly, she rang nine one one before Cindy burst through and tried to beat her. Ah, uh, yeah. So they put two and two together, because they knew that El- Elephant Bayou was such a small town where nothing happened that there was some link there, and they located where the call came from. That's how they found the caravan. So they or found the, the well, they found the tra- caravan. They didn't find the toy box yet. They found the location of the call and tracked it down to the trailer where David Parker Ray and Cindy were living and nobody was in. So the police entered and found the place in complete disarray. Papers all over. Everything was ransacked, basically. They set up an investigation and searched the like camper van and the surrounding area. So any place. They eventually unlocked the toy box. It took them days because it was like Fort Knox in there. Like You could not get into it. But they worked for days and eventually they got in and they were absolutely horrified. Upon watching the video recordings, one officer actually vomited. And there was one woman, and I, I really hope I don't get her name wrong, I think it's Patricia. She was chief investigator and she was given the task to dis- to draw a sketch of the toy box. So she had to do a detailed sketch. So she saw things in there that only David Pack read and Cindy had seen. Yeah. And so she was noting all it down and it took her five days. Bloody to complete this drawing. So she was in that toy box for five days. Another thing that was really important to mention as well was David Packray was very concise. So, like, everything was bleached, everything was clean. Oh, he's got a military background, hasn't he? Yeah, it's no DNA samples. So whenever these women would come out of their drug-induced haze, even if they've got a rape kit, like, his semen was nowhere. Like, yeah. there was nothing. Yeah. He was completely clean. So this woman, she'd been working five days on this sketch, and she came out of it and she handed it over to the evidence researcher and the head of the force basically said you need to go home now go home to your family take take all the time yeah. you need because it had been traumatic so she went back to her family's when, home so, sorry when was this this whole fiasco when did it take place what year it was i think it was did i say it was the 90s yeah it was 90s Mlt's photographs no they have to do a detailed sketch of the area right. like from different perspectives so she'd spent five days in this trailer she'd gone home to her family that night she went upstairs, loaded a revolver and shot herself in the head Fuck and died. So she committed suicide over what she'd seen. It was that bad. They were arrested. The trial of David, Cindy, Jesse and Roy was massive because Elephant Bayou was such a quiet... Something I don't get how I haven't heard of this because I listened to some true crime it's... podcasts and stuff. 
Maybe um, a lot of people just trying to stay away from it. It's very, it's awful, Oliver. Yeah. Like, you'll read it. I was thinking about it all yesterday. I couldn't eat. Yeah. I ate, I managed to eat about eight o'clock. I didn't eat anything while I was, what like, researching mm-hmm. it. I, I just couldn't. I felt sick. So the trial, they were arrested and the trial came up. It was huge in Elephant Bayou because nothing ever happened there. So this town that was known for a retirement community had suddenly become a crime scene. Yeah. And this is what people knew it as now. Jessie never dobbed her dad in. She never cooperated with the law and she didn't admit to any murders. Despite Roy confessing that actually, yes, yeah. he'd killed some, he had killed someone. David Parker Ray uh, protested all of his innocence. He told the court that every woman in there had been a willing participant, despite video evidence saying yeah. very, very much the opposite. Or the tape itself. Yeah. And Cindy, his wife, not his wife, but his wife, you yeah. know what I mean? She also denied her part in the crimes <clears throat> as well. Cindy and David Parker Ray were both facing 93 years in jail each, $85,000 in fines and millions in bonds. So upon hearing this, Cindy turned against David Gray and she gave a full confession to everything. Uh, everything she witnessed was a part of and any other crimes he'd simply told her about, so including at the age of 14, he'd tied a woman to a tree, tortured and murdered her. Right. So she told them everything. If what she said was true, and what he told her was true, it would make Parker Ray one of the most prolific serial killers in history. Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy well, wouldn't have a look in. he proven guilty, he's, he's not. not a serial killer, but he is, but he's not. Depends if he listen to innocent until proven guilty. So, <laughs> despite witness statements from Kellyanne Cleave, so the woman with the tattoo, and Cynthia Vigil, alongside the court playing Parker Ray's audio tape that he played to his victims, so the court had to hear what he said. Mm. David Parker still proclaimed his innocence, still said it was completely consensual. So did he admit to the murders and stuff, but said it was all consensual? Wait. So he protested his innocence, didn't stop until he was told how much trouble Jessie's daughter was in as well. He heard about how much trouble Jessie was in, what she could get done for, and he then changed his confession. So he would plead guilty to all the charges if she got an immediate release. But the only charges they could do were kidnap and torture because no bodies were recovered. Mm. So they couldn't convict him of a murder because there were no bodies and there were no identifiable bodies, despite the fact that a lot of the snuff films that he'd sold and videos that he had showed the women dying. Mm. They couldn't identify a body and they couldn't find a body, so they couldn't convict him. In September 2001, Jessie was released as a free woman. Um, she was only sentenced with five years probation and the time she'd already served between arrest and the trial, so she's a free woman now. Fucking hell. She was very smug, very much knew I'd get away with it, sort yeah. of thing. Roy Yancey accepted a plea deal and is now also a free man. Cindy Hendy only served half a sentence... She wasn't sorry at all. She never showed any remorse to any of the victims what they'd been through. Uh, she was released in July the 15th, 2019, and now she's a free woman. These were three people are allowed to go about and live their lives with nobody. Uh, um, uh, if this is just from my perspective, I've never been in a position of like the family of like the ones who were murdered, but I don't, I'd, I don't think I'd want them to show remorse because there's nothing inside that person that is that has any type of conscience or feeling. So if I if they showed remorse, I'd just think you, that it's, sarc- it, that it's sarcasm. Yeah, yeah you, I know you, you don't fucking regret it, and you know it, so let's not bullshit each other. But it's, yeah, I mean, from the victim's family's perspective, I can see that, but also from the perspective of just a 
normal human being with normal human emotions like but how can you that, not then, feel yeah. sorry for what you've done? But that, how can you have done it in the first place? But that's what I mean. If they if they was like, oh, I'm sorry and caught on that, I'd be like, you're not. Like you, like you've done it to this many people. How can you be sorry? Like it's it's bullshit to try and look good in the courtroom. Yeah. Just just act, if you are a monster, if fucking act like one. Yeah. Act like one. So although Parker Ray spoke of his murders and he confessed them to the police. So he confessed he'd killed people because there was no name, there was nobody. He was never convicted of any murder. No bodies were ever found. So David Ray Parker was sentenced to 223 years in prison for all the crimes that he committed. Just kidnap and torture, though. Yeah. But the worst thing is, when he entered the prison that day and he entered his cell, he slumped over and died. From what? He had heart failure. As soon as he got in, he hadn't even served a day of formal sentencing. Do you reckon that was planned? No, it was heart failure. He just died. It was just... Uh, did he did not take some no, sort of drug? No, completely clean in systems. He just died. So he didn't... So he he died, essentially, without serving a sentence. That's almost as close to true evil as you can get. It's almost like once he was pulled away from him being able to to hurt people, he's he was useless, useless. now. Yeah. He was a shell. That's bizarre. And so he died. And all together, so Roy, Jesse... David Parkeray and Cindy Hendy all combined after everything they'd done, the hundreds of women that were raped, tortured, many killed, but never convicted yeah. because they couldn't prove it. All they served were 34 years between them. You get more for minor drug charges, don't you? Yeah. And that's my true crime story. That's the end of it. Oh, you set the bar high. I know. I thought... Just, just to clarify, setting the bar high, I mean, in terms of... I don't yeah. mean that was amazing, like, but I mean, like, story. it was... Yeah. And it's so bizarre that I've never heard of that because I do listen to a lot of... It, do you think maybe it's something that they don't want people knowing about because it's so embarrassing well, what's happened about it? Well, the FBI let him go. He, he admitted to, like, torturing and all this thi- all these things and they didn't even keep him on the radar. He was completely left free for 13 you, more years. Do you think... I, kn- I know your opinion is going to be very biased because you've read this story and it's it's um, it's hurt you on, on a level of re- having to read it and research it. But do you think you should be able to convict someone of murder without seeing a body? No. But at the same point, if I was a victim, a family member, or, you know, there could be up to... Like when, I, when I think about it, and I know that we can't prove it, so I know that it can't be convicted, but 60 women, 60 missing women out there... It's bizarre that... That will never get closure. It was a, it was a genius in the fact that how oh it's got God, away yeah. with it is... But that's what a military background can do to you. That's what... Don't get me wrong, I don't feel sad for him. Not a chance, but it's a sad story. Yeah. But because people have had upbringings... People get beaten when they're brought up. People have bad upbringings, but they don't go around and do stuff like that. He made that that choice, and he is like... I love true crime, so I, I watch a lot of stuff. I've seen John Wayne Gacy, I've seen Ted Bundy, but this hit a new level of evil. It, it is a sad story. It's And it makes you think, how many women are still alive now? that do not remember three days of their life because mm. he drugged them and he yeah. manipulated them with his mind and it just, it, it's beyond, and the stuff he did to them, Ollie, the stuff he did. I'm definitely going to watch a documentary about it because it's, it's an interesting one that I can't believe I've not heard of it before. And, you know, I, as I say, I'll post the transcript of, the link to the transcript of his audio tape, but I do recommend read it at your own will. There's some things that I've read that I'm never going to, be able to forget about now and it really did it, it made me feel sick like all throughout this I'm, i do apologize if 
because sometimes I must have sounded like I was crying, but I physically got a lump in my throat. And it's not, it's not one of sadness though. I am sad about it. It's disgust. Like it makes me feel sick what this man did. So, you know, I, it, I never, I'd never heard of it. Um, Kerry on a paranormal chicks, she did the story first. And I remember saying, you know, there's some stuff that I'm just not going to go into. And I sat there thinking, how bad can it be? Mm. Like, why why was it not developed? And, you know, to be fair, I should trust Carrie because she uh, she knows her stuff and it takes a lot for her to be rattled. And when, But when I read through it, I thought I was going to be like, I was going to do like an expose on it. I, like When I had it in my mind, I was like, I'm going to tell everything. I'm going to find his audio tape. I mm. might post a snippet. But actually, when it came to it, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And as I say, I will post a link for those that are interested. And, you know, this is only a part of the story. This is only a small dint. And, but it is, it is, he would have been one of the most pr- prolific serial killers. If he'd have been charged. If he'd have been charged. But the Could... fact he didn't even serve a day of his sentence, he died as soon as he got into that jail cell. And he'd have died happy, yeah. I think. Yeah. Knowing his daughter's walked free. He wasn't sentenced to death. He was, he was put in prison and that's meant to be the suffering, but he didn't even get that. And, you know, it's not even as if these women, Kellyanne Cleave, I haven't heard much of, but Cynthia Vigil, she's, she's had a lot to deal with and life's not dealt her a very kind hand at all. It's ironic because I'd imagine as a torture victim, I say I'd imagine, it's not something you can put yourself in the shoes of, but I'd imagine a lot of his victims at some point would have felt, I just want to die. But the the worst part about torture, I'd imagine, is not be, be not being allowed to die yeah. like you. And he got that. He got as soon as his torture was about to begin of being locked up. Yeah. He died and he got out the easy way. And a lot of the problem as well is the idea it was sex workers. So it wasn't all the time that it was prostitutes. There, there were odd occasions where they weren't, but majority of them were prostitutes, and the police just didn't care because the sex workers that, and they the feel like that, they've that, not got equal rights, and the, they do. In the illegal industry, it's like if. Like if, um, like if a, you owe a drug dealer money and they they want to come for you, um, what what can you do? Go to the police. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's it's an illegal. Yeah. It's a it's a black market thing. Same as sex work. It's not something you can go to the police and go. Oh, I'm a prostitute and this person's yeah. beating me. Like it's not something you can do. The only difference is the ruling of it. I mean, if I went to a shop and stole something, the police won't go. Well, you you own a shop, so. She really was going to steal yeah. it, just as if a prostitute was raped by a client. But they wouldn't, they yeah. wouldn't be like, oh well, it had been well, you, it's sort of part and parcel of it's the in your job, line of work, yeah. and it's just not. And I think that's so. It's the the fact that the FBI let him get away with it for another thirteen years. But as I say, it was it was lack of care, and it was lack of care for sex workers, and it it was a sad story, and I felt so. I thought when I was going to read it, you know, I was hoping he was going to be rotting in jail. I was hoping he would get the death penalty, mm. but partly not because that's such an easy way out. Death is such an easy way out. Mm. But then when I read and listened, I did quite a lot, um, that he, he died in his jail cell as soon as he got in there. There's just no vindication. There's no justice. And all of them are free now. They they could be living among us today and we wouldn't know it. And yeah, that's that's the end of the story of the toy box killer. I enjoyed the story. It's like a real life horror film. I, I yeah. enjoyed it. It was a, an awful story, but a good tale. Yeah. It was a good, Not tale, it, yeah. it was a good. Do you know what I'm it was saying? A good thing to talk about. It was a good. It was a. 
it was an interesting yeah fact, it's not, case just, it's file. not just a typical kit like someone with a knife and they've yeah. killed several people around blah blah and then they get dna or find a body and it gets tracked back yes yeah i enjoyed that well bit of a darker episode i know i feel like i'll be doing what shall i do for my so we did and you did an urban legend last time you did urban legend last time I'll I'll think on it and we'll let you know on Monday's recording what it's yeah. going to be. Uh, please remember, folks, that we will be doing Beetlejuice uh, next Monday. So if you haven't watched it already, how can anybody not have watched it? Me. Well, yeah, apart it. from you. Is it a musical? No, there is a musical version of it, which right. was on the West End, right. but the film is not a musical. It's a dark comedy. It's right. good. Right. It's a good film. It's not Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween kind of slasher yeah. but it's it's good it's funny it's older it's good i like it yeah so uh we'll see you monday then we'll what for what's it called again beetlejuice, beetlejuice. <laughs> we'll see you monday for beetlejuice all right bye everyone bye